In Acts chapter 16, we begin reading, Then came he, this is the Apostle Paul, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Last night, Brother Fulmer pointed out to us that the church here in America, and indeed the church world over, is in trouble. We're in desperate condition. We're in desperate straits. God's word is not proclaimed as it once was. God's people who believe do not practice as we once did. We live in a world that's filled with distractions. We live in a nation that has turned in so many ways away from our God. And then we wonder why it seems that our God has in many ways turned away from us. And yet we have plenty of testament of Old Testament scripture and New Testament alike that our God is a God who responds to the actions of his people. Our inactivity, our failure to behave the way we say we believe, to do the things that we have claimed are important to us. You know, our priorities are not determined by what we say, but by what we do. And the sad truth is that our actions often reveal that Jesus is not first in our life, not even in the top ten in our life. But the text this morning is about a man named Timotheus, who was a young man who was a disciple, a believer, in a city of Lystra in modern-day Turkey. And he was a young man who no doubt had a lot of plans, a lot of ideas, a lot of things that he was doing in his life. He was no doubt a busy young man. And the Apostle Paul had been there with Barnabas and had preached and a church had been established. The gospel had been proclaimed and many had believed on him. And they had gone on their journey. They had returned to Antioch. They had gone down to Jerusalem. They had come back. Paul and Barnabas had separated and Paul and Silas had begun their second trip through the region. And arriving there in Lystra, they found a young man who was a believer. And again, I want to focus on who Timothy was. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that he was a believer. We know that his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek, and he was a Christian. And that's enough. He was a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, and a man who put Christ first in his life. How do we know that? Well, the Apostle Paul arrives on the scene, and he hears of this young man that he has a good report. He's a faithful young man. He's a young man who is diligent in his study. He's a young man who is devoted to Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, we see him would Paul have to go forth with him. This is all about Paul's will. It doesn't say Paul talked to Timothy, asked Timothy, desired Timothy. It says Paul would him go forth with him, and Timothy went. And you say, well, if the Apostle Paul asked me, I'd go with him too. Paul didn't just take him with him on his journey, though. It says Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. 
Well, that's a pretty big commitment on Timothy's part. He's willing to undergo a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain. And he's willing to go forth on what was not an easy journey, not an easy task. If you remember, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first journey. He didn't get very far along the way before he turned aside. He said, this is too much for me. I can't continue with you. And in fact, that was the source of the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas on this trip. But two things we can note here. One is that Paul desired his company. Paul felt the need for additional assistance, additional help. And this began a partnership that would last to the end of Paul's life. And it would continue in Timothy's ministry for a long time yet to come. Paul was a minister of the gospel who saw the need for help. He didn't think he could do the work on his own. And I don't think any true minister of the gospel thinks we can stand alone. There's any work that we can tackle by ourselves. We need, first of all, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit moves through people. And we need the assistance of those who are like-minded, who have a desire to serve the Lord. Secondly, we see Timothy was willing to be used. And I think for us today, that's perhaps one of the greatest challenges, being willing to be used in the Lord's service. The congregation here this morning is filled with people of varying talents and abilities, filled with young people with great abilities There are young people in the congregation this morning who have the amazing, to me, ability to make ball lightning float in the palm of their hand and throw it across the room. If you don't believe me, look on Facebook. There are links to YouTube videos. There are people who can develop websites. There are people who can write. There are people who can sing. There are those of you who can do great things. And more than that, there are those of you who have seen Jesus Christ. And that's what the world needs, is to see that part of you, that part of you that's been enlightened by the gospel, that's seen Jesus. And that's what needs to be put forth first in the kingdom. And that's what's needed in the church today. That's what's needed in the country and the world today, is people who are willing to put Christ first. Now, I have to tell you, I'm guilty as We all are. I was once young and unattached. I was once young and available to do many things in God's service. And you know what I did with it? Virtually nothing. I became distracted. I allowed other things to creep in, to take my attention away. And I'm not an old man by any means, but I'm no longer as young as I once was. Opportunities have been missed. So much of the time we say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to accomplish that which I need to do, and then I will devote myself to the Lord. Then I'll devote myself in His service. Then I'll go and visit some foreign ministry, some foreign mission field. Then I'll go and I'll minister to some small church that's in need. And meanwhile, we look around and we see churches dying. We see congregations declining. We see even our own churches being filled with people, but without any greater commitment to Christ, without any greater spirit or greater desire for his word. Our attention is distracted by school, it's distracted by work, it's distracted by family, by everything but the Word of God. And then we wonder why the gospel is not being proclaimed as it once was. We wonder why churches seem to be in decline. 
I visit small churches all over the world, but particularly in our country where the churches are going down. It seems like there aren't any young people left. There are faithful old saints who are worshiping, but they don't even have preachers to come and preach to them because there aren't young preachers available or the ones that they can find. And the young people in these churches are drifting away. The ones who remain committed to Christ, you know what they do? They move to where there's a strong church because they need to be in a strong church. And the weak churches grow weaker. The time is now to find a commitment to Christ that takes us out of our comfort level, out of our selfish desire for our own growth, for our own abilities, and pushes us to do that which is beneficial to the kingdom, that which magnifies Jesus Christ. In the world that we live in, God's placed us here in this time. He's placed us here for a purpose, and that purpose is his glory. So Timothy found himself in his hometown of Lystra, the son of a Greek and a Jewess, and he found himself confronted with a task, confronted with a ministry. The Apostle Paul said, Timothy, I'd like you to go with me. And we don't see any indication of Timothy's wavering in that. He seems to have jumped at the opportunity. Now, a lot of us will do that when an opportunity is presented. It seems too good to be true. If the Apostle Paul walked into your house today and said, come with me, I want to take you with me, you'd probably jump at the chance. I think I would. John Mark did when the opportunity was given him. But then persecution comes, affliction comes. And Timothy didn't always have an easy time of it. And serving Jesus Christ is never easy. We haven't been called to do the easy thing. We've been called to serve him. Jesus set our example for us. What did he do? He suffered. He bled. He died. So the Apostle Paul writes Timothy nearing the end of his life. Now, this is many years into their journey together, many years into their relationship together. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he perceives that Timothy may be discouraged. He perceives that there are many sufferings, many trials that lay behind and that may lay ahead for him. He writes to him in chapter 2 and says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." That's a verse that should challenge every one of us. You see, it's a warfare that we're engaged in. If you're a Christian this morning, you're engaged in a warfare and the enemy is ever present. And Paul says, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. For me, the greatest enemy of my ministry and the greatest enemy of my service to God are those entanglements of this life. So many things that distract And along with those distractions comes a separation from God, who is the source of all strength and power, an opening of the door to temptation and to sin. And sin wars against the soul. And Satan, he's a crafty foe. He's a roaring lion. He's looking to devour. And all that he needs is a door to open for him to enter into your life, into my life, to corrupt our testimonies, corrupt our service. To postpone that which we desire to do that's good until ultimately it never is accomplished. Timothy was called to serve and he did serve. He saw his father, his friend, he saw the Apostle Paul go down in service. He saw him captured, imprisoned, 
punished, beaten. He saw him arrested and imprisoned and taken off the scene far too early. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, you continue to do what you're doing. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, that time has come. They will not endure sound doctrine. Anything that's unsound is open for discussion, but truth is not allowed. So what do you do? You speak truth anyway. You challenge the enemies of God in this world and you proclaim truth. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. I'm not a preacher. So what? Proclaim truth. Speak that which is true. Those things which become sound doctrine. Be willing to stand up to declare truth to all who will hear. You say, well, I'm in school right now and I have to do what the professor says. I have to listen to what the professor says. Why? Why do you have to stand there and listen and not challenge it and not contest it? The time to speak is now. You say, well, I'm trying to establish a career and my bosses, they don't want to hear about the gospel. They want me to work on Sunday. They don't want to hear about my religious devotion. They don't want me to have time to study the Bible. I've got to study my books. I've got to study my profession. Timothy, no doubt, had a lot of plans. The Apostle Paul had a lot of plans. But the direction he was traveling led toward death. And what did he do? He changed direction. And if our testimony of faith is going to have any reality, any bearing on reality in our lives, if anybody's ever going to see, hear, or listen to what we have to say, there has to be something real behind it in experience. And that reality is something that transforms lives. The gospel, Jesus Christ, transforms lives. If you haven't changed from the day you believed, then the gospel has had no impact on you. You have nothing to tell people about. But if Jesus Christ is real to you, if you are a disciple, one who has followed him, one who has believed on him in the world, then like Timothy, you must, you must follow him. And if that means going out of your comfort zone, it will mean going out of your comfort zone, then so be it. Do it. Step outside of that area of your comfort, of your sense of control, and trust the God who controls everything and follow him. I'll guarantee you Timothy as a young man, probably a teenager in Lystra, had no idea anywhere in his mind that he would one day travel the entire known world, that he would travel to Rome, that he would travel to all of Macedonia, that he would go and see and do the things that he would do. And yet God knew what he had planned for him. And we still speak his name. His legacy lives on. And it's not for his glory, not for his name's sake, but for Jesus Christ. This was a man who was instrumental in establishing the New Testament church in all the earth, the Gentile church. And today we face a great time of hardship, of struggle, of trial, a time when the church is threatened. Now, we know that God is never going to forsake his church. We know his church is never going to fail. But as Brother Fulmer pointed out to us, there's no promise that his church is going to remain in any one place. 
And we can continue to bemoan the decline of morality. We can continue to bemoan the decline of churches in our land. And we can sit back and do nothing. Or we can assemble and sing the songs of Zion together and never reach out beyond our walls. We can assemble ourselves where the few remaining strong bulwarks are. We can find 10 or 12 churches in the country that we say are strong churches and we can go there with our families and we can worship. Or we can get out of our comfort zone. We can go where the gospel is needed and we can proclaim it. We can live in our workplace as Christians and we can declare Jesus Christ and his truth. We can go and worship with those churches that are down to four and five members that have nothing left but a building. And we can worship with them and bring to them the strength of a testimony of a life changed by Jesus Christ. We can go and we can preach the gospel and we can live the gospel in foreign lands and not say, I'm an American. And America first. We cannot put our creature comforts first any longer. We can go where the need is felt and there we can proclaim truth. Well, maybe there's suffering there. Timothy understood suffering. Paul understood suffering. But Paul says we are called to suffer. Unless we think that those great skills, those great talents, those great abilities that we possess are our own to do with as we please or for our own glory. Remember that he's called us and he's equipped us and he's qualified us for that calling. And whatever you have, whatever ability you have, it belongs to Jesus Christ. The next time a minister of the gospel, next time the Lord himself reaches out and asks you, young person or old, for help. Asks for your abilities. Asks for your sacrifice. Asks for you to serve Jesus Christ. Let the answer be yes. Now, today, I'll go with you. I'll do. Not tomorrow or next year or when I'm finished with school or when my family's grown. But now, today, and God will use you. He'll use you for his kingdom's sake. Hebrews chapter 11 closes with this thought as he speaks of the faith of all those who have gone before, all of those examples of the Old Testament, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Not an easy journey that's exemplified for us in Old Testament Scripture. But of these, it says, of whom the world was not worthy, 
All these, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. We've received something better. Better than all of those saints. Better than all that they imagined, all that they hoped for. We've received Jesus Christ. We've received His strength, His power, His glory. He's magnified Himself in us. And He calls upon us to lift Him up, to glorify Him. He's given us something better. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Apply it to your situation. What things would hold you back? What things would dissuade you? How many people do you know who, filled with the love of Jesus Christ, filled with the testimony of faith in Him, have allowed their lives to be consumed by the world in which they live? One step at a time. I have to do this first, and then I'll serve God. Oh, I also have to do this other thing. And pretty soon they're overwhelmed and their lives are gone. And we continue this pattern. Not a pattern that trends upward, but a pattern of decline. A pattern that doesn't have to be. If any one of us would break out of that mold and would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, would do what God has commanded us to do. What a blessing it is in the first century that so many were willing to forsake houses and lands. They were willing to forsake careers. They were willing to forsake the favor of family and of friends. For what? For the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who had died, but they were convinced had risen again. And in whom they were convinced they lived. And that's the tone of Paul's writing. As Paul writes again and again to churches, as he tells them to sacrifice their good for that which is so much better, so much more glorious. As he tells them to seek first God's kingdom, to set their affection on things above. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. He sits on the right hand of God and he's coming again. And when he comes, he's going to receive you to himself. And then whatever you sacrifice, whatever difficult decisions you made, they're going to seem well worth it. They're going to pale in comparison of what Jesus Christ brings with him. The glory of his Father. The presence of all of his saints. Thank you for your attention this morning. I pray God will use these words.